0: Hey, what's going on? Happy Wednesday. Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined as always by Thomas Drance, my co-host, Canucks Ins- Insider, also working at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio, Kintec Footwear And Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit, KinTech.net 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Man, the NHL. They are not waiting for Friday. They decided, let's just get it done. (laughs) Let's just do it now. I was going to say, is it a happy Wednesday? (laughs) (laughs) For me. (laughs) I'm in a great mood. Good for you, bud. I love this. I love this week. I live for
1: this. This week is great. But I will say, you know, I have this tension that I live with where, like... (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) Where... where, And I always think about it in the bubble. Okay? So, when I was in the bubble, the Canucks were eliminated, and conveniently, my colleague, Arpom Basu, after I'd spent six weeks in the bubble basically like by myself at the rink every day, arrived. And so I took a weekend in Banff just to like mm. refresh. And it just so happened to coincide with the Canucks being eliminated. That was pre-scheduled. Whether they'd won or lost Game 7, I was taking the break. And I remember driving back, and I'm working the phones. And, and the day the Canucks were eliminated, I'd written a column, and I said, you know, in light of all this pandemic uncertainty, like we'll know pretty quickly if this is gonna be a normal offseason based on whether or not the Canucks extend Travis Green almost immediately. A normal team would extend the coach almost immediately. If they don't, you know, that'll be that'll be a warning flag that what we're in for is not gonna be a normal offseason. And on my drive back from Banff, I'm calling everybody, calling all my contacts, um, preparing to write a piece with Rick Dollywall. And everyone I talk to is like, it's gonna take a while, but that's normal, right? And we we reported in that piece that I wrote with Dollywall that day, like, hey, this is going to take a bit, but, you know, don't take that as a sign, despite what we'd sort of written the other day. And I always remember, in retrospect, my first thought, without checking in with anyone, was the right one. My first instinct was the right one, and the closer I got to the story, the further away Mm. I got from seeing it clearly. And I, I often think about this, so...
0: Yesterday, the, the,
1: you got thicker into the
0: smoke screens and the obfuscation and the,
1: yeah. So sometimes, sometimes it helps to be close to a story and sometimes it actually helps to be removed and thinking through it yourself. And there's a tension between the two. And I often go back and forth over like, what should I buy? What should I present? How how should I work the story? Am I better off being on speaking terms with everybody or not? <laughs> 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 and yesterday was a day where because of Shayna's reporting, because of... Pittsburgh's, the news out of Pittsburgh from both the Post-Gazette and from Rob Rossi, you know, it was like, something big could be happening. And hey, it could. It could be. But what have we been saying all along about what remains for the Canucks to do?
0: Yeah, Luke Shen and their cap space. And they've done Luke Shen. And what opportunities remain to use their cap space? Uh, Well, I don't know. There could like I, in terms of third party brokering, I don't know, but oh, definitely could,
1: in terms of third party brokering, it's done.
0: Be, but could other teams still be looking to dump cap space? I think that's possible between yeah, now sure. and the deadline. You know what I mean? To dump an actual player, uh, sure, uh, I think maybe. that could still be something that we see between now and the deadline.
1: Maybe, maybe, but it feels like the, the most, the most profitable opportunities to take on cap space are almost certainly done. Like at this point, it's going to require a team like Toronto being like. And we're gonna add a yeah, goaltender. We need to do something else. We're so gonna bye buy bye. UC Soros yeah. from a- Nashville, and we need you know buy so like, buy Alex Kerfoot. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like it's gonna take something like that. So I you know don't hold your breath. So once again, it's one of those things where our I think our analysis was pr- was more likely on point, and that sort of leads me to this moment where we wake up this morning and Rick Dollywall and a bunch of others are sort of pouring cold water on the idea of the Canucks being close to making a trade. Um, seems like there's a, a low probability that Brock Besser gets mm-hmm. dealt before Friday. Seems like he's going to play on Minnesota again, per Rick Dollywall's reporting tomorrow. Uh, that's a good sign that nothing's imminent. Canucks aren't willing to retain. JT Miller stuff has definitely cooled. Seems like maybe that was a smokescreen from out of the Pittsburgh market in particular. Yeah,
0: although there are, they're still reporting. Not quite as serious, necessarily, out of Pittsburgh, but there are still some interesting things coming out of Pittsburgh. And I will say, just kind of an update, when we signed off yesterday, there was a lot of smoke around Brock Besser. That's cooled off from both people in Vancouver and Pittsburgh. Like, with your athletic colleague Rob Rossi in particular saying yeah. it doesn't sound like Brock Besser is headed uh, to Pittsburgh.
1: Right, so... You know, I think ultimately it's fun to get caught up in it. We're not going to apologize for it. We weren't inaccurate at any point. And I think we kept saying and, and um, qualifying that how difficult it was to, to move yeah. money.
0: Or Which I, I still 100% think is the uh, is 100%. The but today it feels like we're
1: now at a point where it's worth at least having the conversation. Like, if this is it, if this is it for the
0: Canucks at the deadline, how do you feel about their move? Just the one update I'll give on the Pittsburgh situation before we get into that is uh, is the... Uh, Some reporting from Josh Yowie, which I just find really interesting, even if it doesn't relate, end up relating to the Canucks. But uh, specifically, you know, in his piece at The Athletic last night says, "Uh, I can tell you this much, everyone I've spoken with in the organization, that's the Penguins, expects Hextall to make a big move by Friday and perhaps more than one. How big? We shall see. He has engaged in serious talks with the Canucks and the Coyotes in the past 24 hours. Major moves are possible. Many in the organization are pushing for a move. He also goes on to note that... Plenty of players in that locker room aren't thrilled that their general manager hasn't made more of a push to help them in the ever-improving Eastern Conference. Others aren't pleased with how the team is being run in general. So I read that, and when you think of the inherent difficulty and unlikelihood of moving a contract like JT Miller or even a Brock Besser at this stage of the season, you start to think of, okay, well, what, what kind of circumstances could create an environment where it does become possible And to me, when I hear players in that locker room and I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's not like Danton Heinen, uh, you know, who's voicing his frustration with how things are being run there. I think it might be some more senior, some more heavyweight players. That's the kind of situation where maybe a general manager can make a mistake. That's all I'm going (laughs) to say. That's all I'm going to say. I don't think it's likely. I'm not saying it's going to happen. But I noted that with interest when I read it. Chad Ruadil is deeply upset. I'm not sure those are the guys that are really (laughs) making it known how angry they are with Ron Hextel. I'm furious. (laughs) Chad Chad, Chad Ruadil um, texting all the reporters like, my window is closing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Josh Archibald is really, really fed up with what he's seen from management.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a fair assumption, Jamie. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna guess that maybe there's some more famous players who are doing the griping there.
1: Oh man,
0: that's so good.
1: <laughs> okay, so I'm sorry. I need you all right. No, I'm I'm gonna need a second. Teddy Bluger, I'm furious. <laughs> Look at the Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right, getting getting over Mark Donk's complaints to media about <laughs> yeah. Pittsburgh's. Uh, deadline Lack of action, yeah. Um, okay, so let me pose the question to you, and let me pose it as well to the Dunbar Lumber inbox. Remember, 650-650, you can text in. If this is it, like, if the Canucks are done making substantive moves ahead of the deadline, what will your reaction be to their performance? And let's extend it. Let's say, like, since January 1st. Sure, okay. Right, so, like, the last two months leading up to the trade deadline, what will you think about what the Canucks accomplished or have accomplished to this point? And let's sort of we can list it through. They extended Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah. They've traded Riley Stillman for Josh Bloom. They traded Bo Horvat for Anthony Beauvillier, the New York Islanders first, and Atu Ratu. They also acquired Vita- uh, Vitali Kratzov for uh, you know nothing, yep. <laughs> a twenty twenty six seventh round pick, and Will, will Lockwood.
0: Lockwood. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, Stillman. Did you say Stillman? I said Stillman. Okay. Stillman, then I think that, then Shen for a third. Shen for a third. Yeah. So that's that's the body of work we're looking
1: at to this point. Um, text in. Let us know what you think. And, and in the meantime, Jamie, why don't
0: you tell us what you think? I would say like a qualified success with the major qualification for me. Okay, so here's the thing. It reminds me actually a little bit. A qualified of, success. It reminds me a little bit of last year's deadline where like they did the thing they absolutely had to do. Which mm. was in this case Luke Shen last year, it was Tyler Mott, and you maybe okay. look at it as a little underwhelming, but you had to do it, and ultimately, you got something that was within the ballpark for the asset, even if it wasn't what you were necessarily dreaming of. The big kind of so there's two things that, that lead me to say that it's qualified. One, I still think they should have capitalized on Andre Kuzmenko and the success he was having, mm-hmm. and the value that he could have potentially brought back, especially when you look at how much. Scoring Play- he's done well, to the points. scoring done. <laughs> <laughs> that, but I was going to say how players with a minimal cap hit have been valued at this Devlin. For sure. Uh, right? So that.
1: Yeah, I now, mean,
0: where else are you getting a 50-point guy now? Like,
1: yeah. on pace for 70-plus for 800K, in a world where Tanner Jeannot yeah. is worth now, the moon. very different players, and obviously, yeah. you know, but... Based on how the market's shaped up, how is the Kuzmenko would only be worth a second in a prospect takes? How have those aged? Yeah, no mean, chance. Yeah. No chance, So right? I still
0: would have done that. Now, having said that, that's a short-term contract that I think you still have a chance to move for an asset down the road. So the, the two for me are... The Kuzmenko extension, I would have preferred to trade him. And I would still like to see them do something with the cap space, right? That hasn't materialized yet. Mm. As we were just talking about, you know, they haven't been a third-party broker. uh, They haven't taken on a contract. If they go through Friday without getting an asset, an extra asset for that cap space, yeah, that's going to be uh, a little disappointing for me. But other than that, you know, I don't mind the Kratsov uh, flyer, especially because they paid basically nothing to get him. The Riley Stillman trade, yeah, I know you have to look at it in context of the Jason Dickinson move as well, but I have no problem with that. And then they did, you know, very well, I think, in the Bo Horvat deal, and they moved Luke Shen like they had to. So for me, it's not ideal, not perfect, not a home run, but I would say a qualified success for the Canucks at the deadline so far. Yeah, I think a lot of that is fair,
1: and I don't disagree. Like, as I said, what, earlier this week, I think the Canucks ultimately did get the most premium collection of assets yeah. that we've seen moved when they s- jumped the market and got before now that could change if Jacob Chikorin moves I suppose so to this point let me put that qualifier in but I don't think now that we've seen the returns come in even for guys like Jeanneau and McCabe and, and Lafferty that our, our assessments changed like no no team has been giving up their best prospect for any player except that the Canucks got a team to give up their best prospect in Aturatu in acquiring Horvat certainly no one's moved a first uh, of the sort of value that no. the New York and Islanders, I would be
0: surprised if did. any team moves a first that has as much upside as the as that uh, Islanders picked. No, no,
1: no. I mean, you're even seeing and like look at the language on the Timo Meyer firsts and stuff. Like teams are legitimately writing in like you are not getting Stutzla out of us. <laughs> like this is not a pick with a chance to go to the top yeah. five. Like people are, other teams are specifically ascribing that that's not what they're including in this return. So. I wanna talk about one other thing, right? Cause I think you're right. I think a qualified success is probably the right way to describe it conventionally. Mm. But as we know this is not a conventional deadline, and this is no, no sure longer hasn't been. and this is no longer a conventional league. Okay. In a world where Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe are significantly higher priced assets on the trade market than Patrick Kane, granted Kane had trade protection, but that's part of what I'm about to discuss. In a world where Tanner Jeannot is more valuable than arguably Timo Meyer, right? We have to change how we think about what NHL general managers are doing and what teams' priorities are. And, and you know, the concept that keeps coming to my mind is uh, the, the idea of, like, scarce resource management, right? Effectively in this league, with its hard cap, And with the pressures the flat cap have introduced and the conservatism introduced uh, in terms of how teams are behaving with term, with regards to term in particular, given what we've seen this deadline, you know, scarce resource management is effectively like far more important at this point than like player evaluation in in terms of an of of a top executive for the general manager. A top executive's right. like, portfolio. I
0: think. I, I think the way I would think of it is the general manager can lean on his staff more for that, but the guy making the top end decisions yeah. has to be focused. I'm not on saying the other player
1: staff. evaluation doesn't matter. Yeah. I'm saying
0: it doesn't matter as much
1: because again, we live in a world where Patrick Kane is significantly distressed as an asset relative to Sam Lafferty. <laughs> like you don't need to be a genius to watch those two guys play hockey and <laughs> say this guy is better. You, you maybe need to be a genius to structure them both so that, one of, so that Sam Lafferty is more expensive, right? Like, we live in a Galaxy Brain trade market. We live in, in a Galaxy Brain league, right? So, from this perspective, I think what's most disappointing to me about this deadline and where it becomes less than a qualified success, even though I think individually, like, I like the Stillman trade. Individually, I like the Horvat return. Individually, I like the Stillman return. Or, sorry, the uh, Shen return, right? Like, I at least think the Shen return... I, I I know the Canucks would have liked to get something more. Maybe you could have figured out a way to bake in something more mm-hmm. by taking bad money back or, or what have you. But realistically, if Shen had gone for a second, people would have been like,
0: "Woof, That's, that's a, a steal. That's a haul. Like, that's, they, they... If he goes for a second, that's a home run. They got what they should have got. This was a single. Yeah. Nothing wrong with a single. Totally.
1: Nothing wrong with a single. <laughs> the problem is, is that a team in this circumstance right, in this situation has, over the course of the time elapsed, added almost $8.5 in cap commitments for next season on the wings, right? Because scarce resource management doesn't just apply to cap space, although that's where the biggest pressure comes in. It also applies to things like cost-controlled forwards, cost-controlled defensemen, and you know what is at the very bottom of that pyramid? Expensive middle six wingers. Yeah, non-premium wingers. <laughs> How does a team in this situation approach this deadline and have added $8.5 million in salary cap commitments? Like, that's galling. And I think that's tough for me to escape in sort of thinking about what the Canucks have achieved to this point at the deadline. Like, the hockey moves make sense. The player evaluation seems fine. But adding Beauvilliers in this market when everyone else is getting paid to take term, unless Winnipeg, unless you're Winnipeg and you're paying to, <laughs> to just get a player.
0: Because no one will sign in
1: Winnipeg. As, yeah. as Jason Bruff put it the other day when I brought up Nino Niederreiter on the morning show, um, other, teams, other teams are leery about uh, taking term on for players. Winnipeg feels they have to capture them. <laughs> <laughs> they have to trap them in Winnipeg. <laughs> um, but given all of that, I just find that To be really tough and and like a really bad process indicator for a team that repeatedly has struggled both before and since this management group took over to understand the scarce resource management part, the big picture strategy part of the task at hand. You know, it's it's this deadline to me is almost illustrative of the same issue that leads you to the Miller deal that leads you to the Mikheyev deal that leads you to where this management group has sort of made the problems that they've inherited. And those were significant problems, even tougher to disentangle going forward. And, and, you know, to me, that's not good enough. So I completely,
0: like, so I guess you're
1: saying qualified success. I'm saying, um, qualified concern. Yeah. I have qualified concern. I think probably the
0: biggest area of disagreement that we have is on Beauvillier specifically. And for me, I, I completely get what you're saying. Like, They have so much money on the wings, and they've been desperately trying to shed it, and they haven't been able to, and they keep adding more. Well, and again, I like
1: Beauvillier as a player. Like, I have – you can – I mean, I nuked all my tweets, but
0: even in his draft year, I was, like, (laughs) riding for Beauvillier. (laughs) Oh, Beauvillier was, like, a draft year, darling. Yeah, yeah. For sure. 100%. Yeah. Um, But at least with Beauvillier, Beauvillier, the way I look at it is it's short-term, right? It's only next year, and – I understand there's an opportunity cost to not having the cap space this summer because there's potentially things you can do. You can harvest more assets. You can maybe go out and add a defenseman who you think you can help, who can help you long term. But I also look at Bovillier, especially if they're going to keep playing him in this spot with Elias Pettersson and on power play one, and you go into next year and he's still having success here. Which guess what? If he plays with Elias Pettersson, he's going to keep having success. I'm not concerned about. I'm not that concerned about how their cap is allocated for next year. I would love for them to have more cap space, but the fact that if they don't have cap space, it's mostly allocated to the wing and on a player like Anthony Bovillier, who I think you'll be able to flip for an asset that doesn't concern me for as much. And it's only for next year, right? The term is what really kills me with the cap space. The the problem is though, is that based on how the markets unfolded
1: since that deal, it feels like Bovillier is a player you should get paid for taking on. So there's lost value there regardless of how he performs Secondly, I like the player, but I mean, his trade value is not going to be significant because at the end of the day is an undersized guy who will be viewed by the league as a middle six winger. Like scoring with Pedersen isn't going to trick anybody into valuing him him like a first liner. It's not. It's just not. Even if you retain half, you're still not looking at because... Even when he's an expiring, you're still not looking at a home run return.
0: Yeah, but like, I think there's a world where you, if he's playing with Peterson and you retain half, that you can get a second round pick next deadline, a hundred percent, maybe. And that's a good asset. That's a really good asset. It's okay for for, for the in, for a team in the Canucks position. I think it's it, really important to be able to do that. It's okay,
1: but wouldn't you rather be using that cap space to sign three one million dollar guys? Like,
0: or, like, put it this okay. way,
1: put it this way, put it this way. A year from now, a year from now, who's gonna have more value at the trade deadline as an expiring? Dakota Joshua or Anthony Yeah, I think Dakota Joshua is actually a really interesting trade. name. So I'm just saying, like, I get no, no, no. Okay, and I get that. And again, that's why I'm not saying it's. Are you like, better off? Are you better off using that cap? Sp- for even from a even from a like stock trading perspective, but teams don't think like that. Certainly, the Canucks don't. But you know, even from a buying assets to flip them later, adding value in that manner perspective, which again, I don't think they're doing. Even from that view, like I think the four and a half can be spent or the four
0: one point one five can be spent more creatively to add more value. I agree. But again, that's why I'm saying qualified success. But I don't think taking on Beauvillier is a disaster. You know what I mean? And I'm not not that you're saying that. I'm I'm definitely not. Are there more efficient ways to use salary? Yeah, probably, but you can still get value out of that. Uh, you're not it's not a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I want to be clear.
1: I'm not saying that structural failure to understand the value of cap space over time becomes one. Right? It's not it's not a dramatic disaster like uh, like a dam breaking, but it's like walking over to the dam and taking <laughs> one chisel a day for 4,000 days until something dramatic happens, which is basically the situation the Canucks are in, right? Like, this is Andre Padan for a third is not a disaster. It's a chip in the brick, right? But you chip enough brick, and you have the flood that we've seen the last three years, this team that's structurally unable to compete both now and in the future. Yeah, and again,
0: that's why it comes down to we're still waiting for the major surgery, right? Yeah, yeah. they traded Bohorvat, Horvat, but oh, that's why there's still so much. I'm not it's not that I'm waiting for major surgery anymore. I'm just like just
1: stop spending on the wings. Like you're in 26th. You know you've you've helped boost your prospect pool. You've brought in what? They have 7 draft picks in the first
0: 4, four rounds. rounds?
1: Yeah. Decent. That's a good start, right? Like in some ways they've gone about beginning to position themselves for the future in ways that I appreciate. Even even something little like Stillman's 24 gets traded for a 19-year-old guy, that's f- future forward. That's what you need to see. But even within this context, to, to be adding cap space given the value of that space, as we've seen, the ability of, for teams to create it, create value out of just having it, right? How valuable, it, how, how ne- necessary it is for a bad team to stockpile it, you know, I I still think the big picture strategy part of what we've seen falls way short of what it's going to take to turn this around.
0: you get a good text? (laughs) No, sorry. There's a genre of text that always makes me laugh, uh, which I'll maybe read on the other side. Uh, Nothing is going to change in the ultimate big picture until they start to free up cap space, and still they are able to free up cap space. So I agree with you, ultimately, on that point. I think I have more time for the incremental moves than you do, probably right. You know what I mean. Like there's incremental moves. It, it, it to to kind of flip your dam analogy on the head. They're they're important. They're not dramatic. They're not like whatever the good version of a dam collapsing is. You know what I mean? <laughs> Where it's like, oh my gosh, our whole no. world has changed all of a sudden. No, but, what's but the good, they're still
1: good. But what's the good version of a dam collapsing? Building just, a dam? Just stop. Sh- just stop chiseling. <laughs> Put your tools down. <laughs> like like fundamentally, did they stop digging at this deadline? no ah uh, see I, I no, disagree I didn't. disagree um they may, they took they they maybe took a few 15 minute breaks to distract from the <laughs> fact
0: that the excavation is ongoing all right we're gonna take a break on that <laughs> note uh, we got lots of great texts coming in though so keep your thoughts coming 650 650 we'll read some of them continue to take uh, your grades on what the Canucks have done so far at the trade deadline more Canuck stock coming up here on sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at dumbbarlumber.com. NHL trade deadline coverage is brought to you by Maui Gym Sunglasses, born on the beaches of Hawaii. Maui Gym Sunglasses are designed with polarized plus-two lenses that protect eyes from harmful rays and enhance the view. Try on a pair and see for yourself, so we were talking about uh, the Canucks evaluating their trade deadline. Trade deadline so far, if this is it, how do you think they did? I'll uh, I'll read a smattering of the texts that have come in here, grants Lots of uh, lots of people fired up. Oof, this one, no. as you can expect, people as you can expect, fired up. Uh, in the Pricer, inbox? Pricer Texas. in. We love you guys by the way. Accruing draft picks, check. Prospects with high upside, check. Fitting out the heavy wings, X addressing the defense x overall grade equals a b well from pricer yeah i think that's completely fair i'd probably go with a lower grade
1: just because also clearing cap space which by the way wasn't a reasonable expectation was going to be tough to do was going to be tough to do but like you didn't have to clear it not adding to it would have been nice sure right like for me you don't it's not that you you don't get blamed for not clearing it but i think you can get blamed for adding it um, one other thing I'd add is like, let's give two check marks to the accruing draft picks because they literally got up a draft pick that can potentially mm. convert and be like a really high upside one a year from now. Although it's also just so and not that it's, you know, you look, Islanders just, are rolling. Yeah. Nashville is selling. Yeah. I think I think unfortunately the last week has kind of taken the wind out of the could that pick be a top five pick in 2024 sales. You
0: know what? 14 15 16 this year like bring it on that that's all right that's all right by me well if but if, what if the islanders are in
1: with the uh seventh seed and play the winner of the metro yeah they can beat. they, they can maybe beat the hurricanes you don't maybe. think they can beat
0: the hurricanes they
1: can and have a big edge in that. i
0: wouldn't bet on them to come out of that series but yeah of course I, it's a possibility i'm just saying you could end up with a pretty low draft pick uh if they win around we'll see anyways uh Scott Wheeler dropped his draft rankings at uh, at the Athletic today, and I went straight to like fourteen, fifteen. I was like, I got a zero. This is where I'm zeroing in on uh, right now. Scott Wheeler,
1: friend of the show, exactly. and it was his birthday uh, yesterday. There you go. The Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to Scott, to Scott Wheeler. Wheeler. And I'm going to beeline for where he ranked Zach Benson.
0: Uh, six and below Will Smith. Uh, Greg, the dairy farmer, says also grade B. I would l- I would have liked to see a second round draft pick for Shen or a, or to deal uh, with their salary cap issues slightly more. This one comes in unsized, uh, unsigned. Excuse me. I'd say that they will have disappointed if they don't weaponize the cap uh, on an expiring contract or brokering for somebody. Uh, and then uh, so uh, Brad from Calgary texts in. So far, it's been surgery, not major surgery. Uh, which, Sorry, can you read fair. the last text uh, back I, again? I think this one, made, I, thats a really good point that I'd I want to say that on. they will have disappointed if they don't weaponize the cap on an expiring contract or brokering. I think that was part of my why quali- why I was qualified, yeah, right?
1: I, right, and I think that's a really important point too. Is again, I think it's probably a pretty good performance from a conventional standpoint, mm. but is conventional sufficient to get this team back on track? I would strongly suggest no, right, and and if this deadline expires without them having done something to buy draft buy additional assets using that cap space, I think that'll be a significant
0: whiff. That's the biggest. Again, we'll see what happens. There's still a couple days before the deadline, but if that doesn't happen, that's the biggest missed opportunity. Uh, Much Um, more so than moving Besser or for me. It's actually actively actively having added, but yes, uh, that's second to me. In, Uh, in,
1: In in but in both cases, right. It's the same issue.
0: Yeah, it's not val- its not being creative or valuing your cap space in the right way. It's—it's it's like a
1: fundamental failure to—it's uh, a fundamental failure of scarce ass, uh, scarce resource management. Mm-hmm. You're never going to compete in a league where teams are operating on the level that guys like Julian Bresch and Brian McClellan are if you're not figuring out
0: how to turn the structure of the league to your advantage in any respect. Uh, Pete and Nanaimo text in the Canucks deadline is a start but generally underwhelming and indicates a much longer retool received nothing that will help significantly in the next two years and that's an interesting one right like what the overall question of what can we learn about the Canucks philosophy and their their strategy for next season based on this deadline I mean Bovillier helps Bovillier is a positive NHL player so that does help I'm sure there's hope that Ratu helps too. Yeah, although he's gonna have to start playing more than four minutes a
1: game. Well, sure, uh, at some point, but yeah. But I mean, I, but I mean what, what over under twenty five games played between now and the end of next season by Ratu?
0: I would take the over.
1: So yeah. So yeah. But it, it's not a four. It's not like uh, we're chasing
0: the playoffs next year. Move, okay. Over
1: right? over under on 0.5 everyday players added at this deadline. No, no, no. With the draft picks accumulated by the Canucks at the deadline.
0: Oh like so they will trade to get players with those picks. <sighs> over under 0.5 probably over. Definitely over. Probably over. They'll
1: tr- they'll move one of those I for might a take player. the over on 1.5. Woo. Yeah. So I'm just saying, right? Like I you know, I don't I think it's too soon to conclude that that's the um I I think it's too soon to conclude that, that we've seen like a material shift toward the future although the Stillman for Bloom deal stands out as like a, a meaningful data point if this is the start of the Canucks backing away from the studnika tier eight, like the studnika bear Stillman age tier and going a little bit younger then that will be a meaningful shift but we've only seen one data point in that pointing in that direction so far
0: by the way i this I completely miss this but a bunch of people are texting in asking if uh if you just said that anything can happen for the islanders in the playoffs <laughs> I think you were to be fair, I think you were maybe just saying the first
1: round. Sorry, but... do we do we need to do we need to remind people of what anything can happen means? Oh man, I love or, it. Or are you are you sick of I, it? I, I was, uh, do you no, want to think... or do you want to no, no, no. we'll save it for five weeks from now? We'll save it for five weeks from now, think. But yeah. effectively anything can happen in one game and anything can happen in one series. Anything's possible. <laughs> Anything's possible. And 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 by the way, anything can happen when you have Kevin Garnett right, yeah, I was on gonna your say, team. If
0: you're Kevin Garnett man, anything is possible.
1: Do you know Kevin? What Gar- a player! Do you know Kevin Garnett was a famed two sport athlete in high school? I did not know that. And spent what else did he play? And, and spent he spent years holding a specific high school record in a different sport. Can you guess what that record is? Is it like long jump or something or high jump? What is it? soccer goal scoring wow
0: that's incredible can
1: you imagine kevin garnett having been like a yan kohler style or like eric crouch he would have been like he would have been like really athletic eric crouch peter crouch what did i say eric crouch who's the nebraska former nebraska quarterback (laughs) yeah (laughs) my bad yeah peter crouch Crouch. excuse me really good on twitter really bad in my memory um okay hold on before we uh sorry i got i got off anyway but Anything can happen in one game, one series. Anything can happen when Dom drops a Kevin Garnett clip. But uh, <laughs> but anything can't happen with a team, a Cinderella
0: team winning 16 games and hoisting the cup. Um, before we move on, uh, and there's lots more text that we can get, keep uh, keep getting into here. Uh, you mentioned Dakota Joshua as an interesting potential trade at the deadline next year. And certainly I think probably a lot of people's minds started to wander that way when they saw the Tanner Jeannot Return and you think about How the style of player that Dakota Joshua is. They're identical boxcars. Yeah, the the really interesting uh, or really similar numbers. And the, the problem is though is that Jano
1: also like over the last two years Jano has well, scored Genot, thirty Gen- goals. He had a
0: much higher level of performance last season that he's still able to eat out on a little bit. Right? And there's
1: one other difference, and it's a key one, um, and that is that Jano has fought. 23 times Mm. over the last two seasons and like joshua's been a willing combatant for sure uh, you know without question i think he's gonna hit 10 fights this year um yeah but uh sorry he's hit four so he's hit four this season two last year so that's a pretty big difference too and and make no mistake that's partly what i think another
0: part of it also is um Joshua, I believe, is a UFA after his contract ends. Correct. Geno is still an RFA. But, anyways, it did get me thinking. And then you also look at, and this is something we've talked about, right? How Luke Shen was the like least significant defense signing they made on the same day as they signed him, but ultimately far and away the most successful one. And then he nets them a third round pick. And just kind of thinking generally as an off season strategy for the Canucks, like look at what look at the guys who go at the deadline for real returns. And try to identify those guys, the Luke Shens, like your rough and tumble de- depth defenseman, your forwards who are going to be cheap, but can get in and forecheck and skate and don't, uh, you know, don't have a problem dropping the gloves. Because you're probably right that Dakota Joshua is going to be more, or could be. There's certainly a world that exists where Dakota Joshua is a more interesting trade ship than a guy like Anthony Beauvillier, who has a track record as a goal scorer, but you know, ah, he's a little small. Maybe he's a middle six guy. Do we really want to pay for him when he costs five times as much against the cap? Yeah. Right, I mean that's the that's the other part of this, right? Like, I think that's got to be if we're talking re- like aggressive retool, go find some guys like that who are going to help you, who are going to be competitive, and are exactly what NHL GMs love to trade for at the deadline. These they go nuts for these guys. Well, I, I would
1: add like the Julian Brisbois thing has kind of like in a lot of ways, a lot of the guys that the Tampa Bay Lightning have acquired at deadlines have been guys that I've like loved, like I was like a big Barkley Gaudreau guy and a big Blake Coleman guy. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember I used to have long Twitter arguments with people about how <laughs> I thought Blake Coleman was a first line caliber winger and people would get upset with me. But I you know that's how I viewed him. Um but more than anything like five years ago I was always like skill, 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 skill. That's all I wanted to see teams add. And I still think that's step one. Like that should well, be what the well,
0: Canucks are targeting and building a talent pool. People are now point to Tampa as like, oh, they they're really showing the league how how tough you have to be and you have to have these types of players. Like they also have Nikita Kucherov, you know what I mean? Like, whoa, and and on their way up, right? Like,
1: how did Tampa Bay become what they are? Right, they amassed a ton of skill and yeah. it was a lot of undersized skill, right? Because there's even a lot of guys who've come through that organization and gone on to huge roles elsewhere, playing skilled hockey. J T. Miller would be one of them. Obviously, he wasn't drafted by them, but he came of age in that organization. Um, Jonathan Marcheseau would be another. Uh, Carter Verhage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corey Conacher, once upon a time, returned Ben Bishop to them, <laughs> who ended up getting them Eric Cernak, right? I mean, there was a lot of undersized skill there. Uh, Palat, Tyler Johnson, Nikita Kucherov. I mean, that was that was the Tampa Bay built their team nailing the draft on like undersized skill guys point you would throw in there too, right? And then have finished their team, yeah, by nailing this like tier of like one to one point seven five million dollar elite competitor. And hey, I I have time for that. I, I in fact, it's changed my view of how teams should finish. I how teams
0: should finish their skilled club. The the lesson for me from Tampa is you have to have that high end skill core, but. After that, all those old man hockey cliches do start to mean something. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. And I look like Colorado just traded for Lars Eller. That, that's a very similar thing. Like great compliments all the high skill that they have up their lineup.
1: Well, and let's uh, let's think about it too, in the perspective from a Canucks perspective, which was this club, once upon a time, had an elite skill group and a high end goaltender, right? But. Didn't really have the pieces you needed to win with, mm-hmm. and and what was added: Rafi Torres, yep. Manny, Manny Malhotra, Malhotra. Yep. Maxim Lapierre, Chris Higgins, Dan Hamhuis. Yeah. right. I mean, there was a moment in time where that's what this team was doing, and Hanson grew into that role with them on the third yeah. line. Yeah, but was, was an there, internal piece. But... Yeah, but uh, but you know, I, I mean, those 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 five ads, I mean, powered that 2011 team in a lot of ways. Not not that they were like the best players or the most important players, but. Rafi Torres added a significant dimension to that team, and we all know what Maxim Lapierre did in the playoffs.
0: Mm-hmm. And Well, not to mention, I mean, that third line, obviously they didn't get a chance to do it in the playoffs, but the third line of Mel uh, for uh sure. Kansen and Torres was but, immense. But, for but that
1: Lapierre year. ended up in,
0: right? Yes, like, yeah. Lapierre in the playoffs ended up there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, – I think sometimes people – get a little ahead of themselves and, and skip the amassing really high-end skill part, which you absolutely can't do. But once you're at that point, then, yeah, I completely understand going after your Nick Pauls and your Tanner Janos and, and oh, yeah. all that. Nick and, Nick Paul, who I gave a
1: Selkie vote to a year. Uh, th- th- seriously. Nick, Nick Paul was a beast for them in the playoffs. The, the, like the, a beast for them. Uh, Tanner wasn't really had never amounted to the level of my guy, but most, most of those guys were my guy at one point. I love it. Uh, 650, 650.
0: <laughs> those are my favorite types of players. Yeah, they're great. They they're rock. They're, they're fan favorites. They should. Too. be. Tanner know huge fan favorite. Right. Guys who can score and fight, are you
1: kidding? Well, he like can skate too. It? He can skate too. Like that. Don't ignore that, right? That's the that's the thing him and
0: Dakota Joshua have in common is high end four checkers. Yeah. Uh Chris from Nanaimo Texas. as we continue to take your grades to so what the Canucks have done so far. I'm giving them a B. I'm excited about the upta- upside chances they took on a couple of guys. I like the Bloom trade. They'll get an impact player in this draft. Uh, the cap space will come in the summer when teams can make more trades. That's Chris from Nanaimo again coming in with a B. Always more realistic that they were going to carve out cap space. Yeah. And in the summer. We'll see. It's still going to be, it's not going to be easy. No. It doesn't become easy all of a sudden. Oh. It becomes easier, but it's still going to be pretty tricky to Let, do. Let's see where the cap ends up.
1: Yep. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Like, the reason term has been so hard to move at the deadline is a specific reaction to from 32 NHL member clubs acting in their own rational self-interest, determining, like, hey, we can't take term because we don't know what it looks like. We don't know how to even weight the risk profile of
0: this deal. Uh. It's going to be so difficult unless the cap goes up, like at least three million, right? The smoothing option, because as you said, I mean now especially, but even if it only goes up a million, whew, that's going to be a really tight environment still uh, in the off season. Uh, this one te- comes in unsigned. So far, they get a C if they would hit a home run on Shen. It's a C plus. Ultimately, they made two moves that they had to make, and one that moved Riley Stillman after five months of being a Canuck, essentially admitting a mistake, albeit getting fair value. In the return for Riley Stillman, and that comes back. I to think the that's. Debate. I think that's probably a pretty fair grade. That that comes back to the debate we were having. B is B is a step too far for me. Yeah, I'd probably go like a B minus. Yeah, I'm I'm, and I'm in they, the C.
1: I'm in the C C minus category because of the, the,
0: if you can't,
1: if you can't creatively, manage, cap considerations. I I think you're dead in the water in this league. Like, I just – I I actually think that's a far more important part of of a general manager's job at this point than evaluating talent. Well, I think the Canucks (laughs) – Like, I think we've reached that moment, and it sucks, but that's where we're at. If you
0: zero in on the Canucks specifically, like, they need to create the salary cap flexibility – for the player evaluation to really matter. You know what I mean? Like they're in such a difficult cap position that you're not going to be able to evaluate your way out of it. You need to create, create the flexibility so that you can let your talent evaluation really shine. Which is why, which is why, you know, I I would be
1: more on the C minus sort of train just because they've added cap space. They've added cap space in on the wings. Jamie,
0: more wingers, man can never have enough. Like it does not
1: make sense. (laughs)
0: uh the Canucks were back at practice today with all of those wingers on the ice drancer who was playing uh, center well here i'll run it down for you it sounds good so down the middle they had Elias petterson okay he's good niels Oman, of course in your second line role jack stanika and atu ratu sheldon drives the extra curtis lazar how is sheldon returning the to the lineup so the full lineup uh kuzmenko petterson Bovillier dakota joshua niels Oman. And Connor Garland. Is someone trading for Sheldon Dries? How is Sheldon Dries the extra? Guy has 10 goals. Pud Colzin, Stunika, Besser, Kratsov, Ratu, Lazar. Dries, your extra. On defense, Hughes and Noah Julson, Guillaume Brisebois and Tyler Myers. Uh, Christian Molanin, and Kyle Burrows. Okay.
1: Guillaume Brisbois is a better fit with Tyler Myers than Riley Stillman. Riley Stillman's a better player, obviously. But... Guillaume Brisebois, Tyler Myers as a duo, will should be okay. I think. I mean, n- not as a second pair, but like, at least at least Guillaume Brisebois is like very conscious of what he can and can't do, and I think Myers needs someone like that to steady him. Myers needs a uh, a, a very reliable, steady, unadventurous partner. Yeah, and then sorry, who's Kyle Burrows playing with? Uh, Christian Molannon yeah, and that pair is probably up there with some of the best third
0: pairs this team has iced this season. I well. Like no that's you said no, no hint sarcasm. Breezeball compliments Myers. Uh Willanin has looked all right, you know, he's he's done okay at the NHL level. Kyle Burrows, we know what he oh, can do uh, when he steps in. I think both I think both
1: Kyle Burrows and like more so Kyle Burrows than than Willanin, but I think this applies to both of them. Like I think both are NHL level players. I don't think they're like Guillaume Brise was a AHL player who can give you games. Mm. I think Burroughs and Willan are at a level where they're like genuine NHL
0: players. So yeah, Rick tockett has been impressed with them. Likes the AHL defenseman coming up. I don't know how much of a drop off he's seen from some of the other guys who have been and so, in the lineup. And so Juleson with Hughes Juleson again. Juleson with Hughes. Quinn Hughes. <laughs> are we talking? At, like no, we're we, not. we've talked a lot. about we're not. how Elias Patterson just makes everyone look good. The effect, the the level that Quinn Hughes is at right now, and especially when you consider who he gets to play with. Like Ethan Baer, nice defenseman, okay? Probably a number five number five guy, I think it's fair to say. And he's far and away the most talented guy that Quinn Hughes has had to play with this year. You know, Luke Shen obviously has had really good results, but we know he's limited. he He's limited as a player, as a as a puck handler, as somebody who can be dynamic with the puck. What Quinn Hughes is doing, considering the circumstances, is absolutely remarkable. And I know some people have been kind of down on, Oh, you know, can is, can he ever be a really number one defenseman on a team? You know, is does he, he going to be that good in the defensive zone? What about pilling, killing penalties and all that? When you're capable of tilting the ice as consistently as Quinn Hughes is, I don't really care about that other stuff. Like, hey, that would be great. Yeah, sure, he can continue to develop, but just every time the puck is on his stick, it's going the other way. And he's the only player who can do that, and that makes it even more impressive. They does not even have help. He doesn't have help doing it. And we talk a lot. We talk so much about uh, how some Canucks forwards would look if they were getting passes in stride. I also think sometimes about how would Quinn Hughes look if some of the forwards were getting open for him to get to to receive passes in stride? If they were actually receiving those and not bobbling them? If they were doing something dangerous once he hit them in stride? Like, Quinn Hughes sometimes needs more help from his forwards as much as the forwards need more help uh, from the defense core as well. Okay, let me give you some Quinn Hughes stats here. Right? All right.
1: The Canucks have spent 2,000... Or, sorry. The Canucks have spent... Um, Oh, my goodness. I'm going to crush this segment. you ready? (laughs) Canucks have spent 1,888 minutes of five-on-five without Quinn Hughes. Mm -hmm. So this is all minutes in which Quinn Hughes is sitting on the bench looking like he needs a nap. (laughs) Thinking about Chris Tannev. Okay, ready? The Canucks have scored 66 goals in those 1,888 minutes, which, by the way, is an abysmal number. Mm Mm-hmm. And allowed 108 against.
0: Woo. Okay,
1: that is not good. If for those of you keeping score at home, the um, that's uh, very not good. Yes, minus 42. In 1,045 minutes with Quinn Hughes on the ice, five on five, the Canucks have scored 65 goals. So they've almost equaled, right? In yep. like in like 60 percent of the ice time. They're the same amount of goals with Quinn Hughes on the ice. They've allowed 46 against, plus 19 with Quinn Hughes on the ice. So that's a um, huge swing. (laughs) Massive swing. Massive swing. It is a (laughs) 63-goal differential swing between what this team does with Quinn Hughes on the ice versus when he's off. Um, Hard to imagine having a bigger individual impact. So anyone thinking that Quinn Hughes can't be a team's number one defenseman, like, can you imagine if you're making – like if you're – if you're eating as a result of the goal differential that Quinn Hughes is building you, as opposed to giving it all back
0: and then some whenever yeah. he sits on the bench. We've talked so much about Elias Patterson for good reason. He's having a phenomenal year. Like, Quinn Hughes has elevated his game to get close to that level. He's He's been absolutely, uh, ridiculously good for this team.
1: With, with nothing else changing. Same exact team, right? Yeah. Minus 42 without plus 19 with. Enough said. This That's guy's a massive, unbelievable. Superstar. Massive, massive. Superstar.
0: Uh, Ryan Clark from ESPN is going to join us next. There's been tons of action around the NHL this week. We'll get him to weigh in on that. Uh, continue to take your texts as well. It is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. 50, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, Canuck stock brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota All-Star team, Avenue DouglaslakeEquipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Ryan Clark from ESPN is going to join us momentarily here. Tons of stuff happening around the NHL these days. Uh, so we'll talk to Ryan about that. And I, I, just before we get Ryan on the uh, on the phone here, I was singing the praises. We were singing the praises of Quinn Hughes at the end of the last segment there. And immediately this text comes in. Quinn Hughes is overrated. Trade him from Sam in Richmond. What? Hughes looked really good on that Marchand goal. Overrated. No defensive skills. Too small. I don't know. I don't know. I don't get it.
1: Anyways, I mean, I mean, I'm I'm willing to hear out New Jersey.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, now joining us, he's uh, does great work covering the NHL for ESPN. Uh, our friend Ryan Clark. Ryan, thank you as always. How are you? Good, good. How are you two gentlemen doing this afternoon? Man, we're doing great. I uh, This is the best time of the year. I love this week. I love the action, the flurry. We'll see what ends up uh, actually developing on Friday. But just the reports, the moves, all of it, it's fantastic. What's uh, What's been your perspective on just the level of activity we've seen so far over the last few days?
2: It's been fascinating to see how many teams are just becoming not only aggressive but really creative with some of the things that they're doing, and you look at the trade last night slash this morning, depending upon your time zone, uh, with the Los Angeles Kings and the Columbus Blue Jackets, the, the asking price allegedly for the Kings they were going to have to look at facing at some point was, hey, if you wanted someone like Jacob Chikrin, you'd have to give up a lot. Instead, they're able to not only get the top four defense when they want, they're able to get a goalie. But it's a trade between two teams that have two of the stronger farm systems going. So the Kings didn't have to give up a prospect. They moved some picks. Of course, Jonathan Quick. And it's just when you see how creative teams are getting, it seems like that's kind of been one of the themes of this deadline.
1: Ryan, (laughs) there's something about Jonathan Quick, considering all that he's done for that franchise, being like, the cap space make weight in a, in a deal that feels, you know, kind of tough, but also just like very par for the course for, for where the hockey business is at the moment. No,
2: it is. And that was the thing about sitting in on the Rob Blake zoom press conference is he was asked about this and he spoke to it in length in the sense of like, Hey, look, there was shock and disappointment from players on the team about this But it's also that understanding, too, if you're Rob Blake or you're the Kings front office, you look at the position you're in. In terms of points, you're tied with the Golden Knights for the most points in the Pacific and the most points in the West. And if you could get your defensive issues fixed, this is a team that could conceivably make a long run. But it's also that juxtaposition of, if we're being honest, you look at the Los Angeles Kings, and loyalty has been a thing with that team. Rob Blake and Luke Robitaille former Kings who are now mm. running the place. Dustin Brown stayed his whole career there. Anje Kopitar, Drew Dowdy, and until yesterday slash today, Jonathan Quick for an organization that when there were lean years, those guys could have left. But actually, I had a story earlier this season talking to Kopitar and Dowdy about how important it is for them to be mentors for this young group. And they've all said the same thing. They wanted to leave the Kings in a better place than how they found it. So you know, moves are going to happen. Legendary players are going to get traded. We've seen it, of course, with marc Andre Fleury. We saw, it, you know, with Patrick Kane. We're seeing it now with with Jonathan Quick. But it's just sort of interesting that the the man who has the most playoff wins and really most wins in regular season and class, and a bunch of whole other categories for the LA Kings, is not going to be a part of their latest playoff run.
1: Ryan, how surprised are you by like the shape? of some of the trades we've seen at this deadline, the, the fact that Sam Lafferty and Jake McCabe uh, have higher asset value than Patrick Kane, <laughs> the, the, the Tanner Genot return being one of the most mind bending ones we've seen. Um, what are your takeaways well, from a deadline that hasn't really looked like what we're used to trade deadlines looking like?
2: Well, those are three completely different situations with Patrick Kane. He had a lot of authority and saying where he was going to go. And when he makes it clear that this is where he wants to be, it really leaves the options extremely limited. You look at the trades that involve like Lafferty and McCabe, like if you're the Blackhawks, A, you know, you are trying to use this window to not only get as much draft capital as you can, but you also have to be able to assess, okay, what are those realistic swings? Because a month, two months ago, maybe you think if you're them, you can move on from Jonathan Tate and Patrick Kane and Max Domi and not going to see you and, and the like. But of course, Jonathan Tays isn't going to get moved because of what's going on with his health situation, Patrick Kane's dynamic change. So if you're them, you have to be aggressive. But also if your team's going after guys like that, you know there's going to be competition because not only do they serve and value roles, but at the same time, they're not the most expensive players. And when you look at the cap hits that are out there, everyone's trying to find a way to get better, but do it on the cheap. Whereas if you look at Tanner Janot, that one's such a, an interesting one for this reason. On one hand, it's wild to think that Tanner Janot, by himself, brought back as many draft picks as Ryan O'Reilly and Vladimir Tarasenko <laughs> together combined. Like, that's an amazing thing to think about. But also, you have to look at the team that made that trade. Like, people question this. But this is what Tampa does. is They go out, they get these sort of players. People question the moves. And then you look up in June, and you're like, oh, damn, here they are in the cup final again. But if there is an interesting part about it is it's the way that they can move these picks but still have this interchangeable system of when they lose one person to the cap, they can bring another and another and another in their place.
0: One of the most interesting teams, Ryan, I think at the deadline so far has been the Washington Capitals who kind of made a late decision while still on the fringes of the playoff race uh, to to become sellers. You know, they sell Orlov. Now they ship Eller to Colorado today. But at the same time, they're they're using some of those assets uh, to get young players. And we haven't really seen too many teams successfully pull this kind of thing off, right, where you're kind of aggressively selling and buying at the same time. What do you what do you think of what Washington has chosen to done here? do here
2: well it's really it's, it's interesting just because i mean you look at the capitals and there's still a core of players in place of course like alex vetchkin you've got ben nicholas backstrom tom wilson john carlson so on and so forth but also this is a team that when you look at its farm system it has to start developing these pieces and here's the reality if you're them in the east like on one hand you can say coming into wednesday you're five points out of the final wild card spot again, with the Penguins, but there's also one of those things where you have a bunch of teams in the middle. If you're confident that you can stay this competitive, and this is what the field could look like even going into next year, maybe this is the year to miss the playoffs. Try to gain as many assets as you can. Do whatever you can to improve the roster within the, re- within the deadline. And then when the offseason gets here, if you're the Cavs, maybe that's when you go all in on trying to rebuild this team. Just because, look, we all know how quickly the landscape can, can shift. Again, let's stay with the East alone. This time a year ago, the Detroit Red Wings were a team that you could see maybe where it's coming together, but you knew that they needed to take a few steps. Now, maybe this is the year they do get into the postseason. The Florida Panthers a year ago were the President Trophy winners, and people were like, hey, Maybe this is a team, this is their year. Now the capped out Panthers are three points out of a final wild card spot, whereas if the Sabres, look, the Sabres have been a lottery team, and now we're talking about them of could they get in, or even the Islanders last year where they were on the outside looking at. Again, you just never know, but when you look at the East, it seems like the potential is there. Like we say that now going, not being funny, even though the Jackets are sitting in last place right now, they get everyone healthy, and they somehow get the first two picks. Maybe not a different team with... Everything they've got going on. So, again, you just never know.
0: Well, in Columbus, another team, right, that we hear, you know, okay, they move Gavrikov out, but could they be players for Jacob Chikrin? And could they do something like that to really jumpstart uh, their ascent up the standings next year? The other team I wanted to ask you about in the East, because almost everybody has done something significant, or in some cases, multiple significant moves of the major East contenders, uh, except the Carolina Hurricanes, where there's a lot of speculation they were in on Meyer. He ends up in New Jersey. I know they. Acquired Jesse Puliarvi, but I'm not counting that as a significant move. Where do the Canes turn now in your eyes to try to boost their chances to go on a deep run?
2: Well, there was another name that was, of course, out there, and that being Patrick Kane, which that's typically a team that's not open to Reynolds, but the understanding is the Carolina Hurricanes would have been more than open to Patrick Kane. Sure. Time. Again, it's Patrick Kane. If you're the Hurricanes at this point, there are options, but they are going fast. I mean, you think about someone like James Van Riems, maybe that's a potential option of someone who would give you a top six, top nine forward, size on the wing, and not only that, but is another veteran you can throw in that dressing room. But when you look at what the options are, you have to be able to find players that fit the overall scheme of what Carolina does, which is, yes, they want players you can score, but they also want players who play a two-way defensive style of game and so, and look, it's possible that they might go through this deadline and they could find someone. It's also possible they may not find someone as well. But the point remains – but the point is still this. There's still a team that, while, yes, everyone else is adding in an extremely competitive eastern field, there's still a team that even with their scoring struggles or you – know, you can't even really say struggles – like. They have a plus 47-goal differential. They've scored 198 goals. Would they probably like to have more goals? Absolutely. no. Show you a team that wouldn't, they're absolutely crazy. But if you're the Hurricanes, the thing that helps you is this. You play a defensive style that, again, when it comes to the playoffs, it should hypothetically translate into them having success.
1: What do you think about there's a theory that I've heard that in the playoffs everyone starts to play with, like Carolina plays all the time? And it it neuters their advantage. (laughs) What what are your thoughts?
2: It's it's an interesting hypothesis for sure because again, like Carolina does it throughout the whole year, but in the sense of like how other teams may use that. Look, it makes sense. We talk about what the hallmarks of Carolina are, and it's they have four lines that can play extremely well. They have six D that can do some great things. They've got goaltending that. Look, when Frederick Anderson's healthy, and and this was the wild thing that you figure out and learn, Frederick Anderson over his career in the regular season is in the top 10 all-time in winning percentage is what someone told me for a story we just had a little bit ago about goaltenders on ESPN. And so, look, all the ingredients are there, but at the same time, like other teams are going to look to replicate that. Like, I mean, again, just staying in the East alone – One of the the hallmarks of the Boston Bruins since that group of like Bergeron and Marchand have been there, they are interchangeable. The Bruins can play any style. You want to play physical, you want to play speed, you want to play more of a, a technical sort of game, they can do that. You look at the moves the Leafs made, it looks like that's something that they can do too. Tampa can literally do anything. It's why they've been in the Cup Finals the last three years. Mm. You look at what Jersey's trying to do. You look at what the Rangers have. It seems like it's something that, especially in the East, more and more teams are trying to do because here's the thing, the more versatile you can be, the easier it is going to be to adapt to different situations. So, yeah, if you look at the Hurricanes, what they've done works. But if you're an other team, you want to tap into that, but also you want to tap into your identity and make the most of what's gotten you to this point.
1: Ryan, how do you look at the New Jersey Devils post-Timo Meyer trade? Is there anyone set up with as healthy a window for the next four or five years? And as a corollary to this and as someone who covered quite closely the rise of the Colorado Avalanche, do you see similarities in the way that they're now structured?
2: Yes and no. Yes Mm -hmm. in the sense of it's a young team with a ton of potential. That can go and do some damage starting as early as this season. No, for for this reason, just because you think about the avalanche and the trades that they've made, they hadn't necessarily made the big trade, kind of like what we've seen with Timo Meyer. While they had signed free agents, they hadn't really signed them that early in the process. And so, yes, there's the trade that gets them Nazem Kadri, but they had already been in the playoffs by a couple of years and they knew what their identity was and they knew what their needs, you know, were and, and they kind of had to still figure some things out. Whereas if you look at the devils and it seems like the devils have all things going at this moment in the sense of they can go sign free agents, which is what they did, you know, again, in the last few years, especially you look at like Dougie Hamilton, they're able to develop players. I mean, we talk understandably so about Jack Hughes, because I mean, he's Jack Hughes, but like, Nico Hesher, Jesper Broad, Dawson Mercer, like Sharon Govich, like the list kind of goes on and on and on and on. But then when you think about the fact they just added Timo Meyer, you look at what's coming down the pike and, and a player like Luke Hughes, there's some similarities, but it's just, again, the difference is, while the Avalanche made that big trade to get Nazem Kadri, and, and, and it was a big trade, it wasn't anything quite like this where As you are going into a playoff race, they make the big move. That move came after. So, again, there's some similarities, but there's enough differences.
0: Uh, in conversation with ESPN's Ryan Clark talking trade deadline activity around the NHL here on Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650. Uh, As Drancer just mentioned, obviously, you're very familiar with the Colorado Avalanche organization. And all of a sudden, they're still not fully healthy, but they're on a hot streak. They're right in the mix for top seed in the Western Conference, where nobody else has really distinguished themselves. And they go out and make a really smart ad uh, for Lars Eller today, which, you know, Go figure, Joe Sakic and the, and the Avalanche doing smart things ahead of the deadline. Should the Avs, at this point, be looked at as the favorite to come out of the West again?
2: At this point, you could pull names out of a hat and figure out <laughs> who's going to be the favorite <laughs> on any given day. That's no sight to the Avs. It's just, again, two weeks ago, people were looking at the Colorado Avalanche asking, hey, are they going to be a wildcard team? And now <laughs> we're looking at the Colorado Avalanche going, could they be the best team in the West? You just don't know. But the reality of a team like the Avs is this. Everyone understands if they can get fully healthy, they are going to be a really difficult team to take on. It's just, again, A, can they get fully healthy, but B, what else is going to happen in the West? Because, like, that's just it. It's like we talk about Colorado, but Minnesota's another team that's just like this. And so remember, not that two weeks is the frame of reference for the Western Conference, <laughs> but in this conversation it's pertinent. Look at where the Wild were two weeks ago. There were questions of what could they do at the deadline. Could they do anything at the deadline? Because they're a cash-strapped team. Now, all of a sudden, you look at the Minnesota Wild. Minnesota Wild are two points out of first in the Western Conference. They're a point out of first in, in, in the Central. So, again, it's just the way this season has worked with the West, it has been chaotic. It has been fascinating. And it's been consistently inconsistent in terms of figuring out who owns the conference, who could own the conference, who looks like they could own the conference. But with the avalanche, the potential's always been there. It's just a matter of can they get everyone healthy. But that said, when you talk about that team success, there's a lot of reasons for it. But JT Comfer is a guy to watch. For the longest time, it was thought, hey, if he's someone that's maybe a better middle six fit for them? Now he's getting this opportunity a second-line center. He's having a career year. And when people were asking, okay, could the Av go after a 2 at the deadline? When you look at the numbers of J.T. Comfort versus people like Max Domi and Adam Henrique, those numbers are comparable, if not better. So if you're the app right now, you're you're getting things going at what's an opportune time.
0: Sticking in the West, Ryan, you know, how surprised are you that the the perennially aggressive and bold Vegas Golden Knights have been as quiet as they have been so far?
2: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, what's up there? <laughs>
0: I mean, like we're not we're not gonna go through a trade deadline with Vegas having cap space and not taking a swing. Are They're we? not constitutionally able to I, sit I, just, this I, one can't, out. I can't imagine right? that we live in that
2: world. Whatever do you mean? Just <laughs> right stay quiet. They don't spend money. They don't do anything flashy. They're just a quiet team with quiet uniforms that just keep to them. No, but in all seriousness. It is a little strange, but it goes back to something an exec said to me last week, which was you are at the stage in the deadline in which patience can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. On one hand, you don't want too much time to go by, but on the other, if you're patient enough, there might be someone who comes available that a week ago wasn't present that all of a sudden – you might have the assets to go make a deal, get that person, and suddenly it changes your roster when you thought that person wasn't available. And it's kind of like the Carolina Hurricanes we were talking about a little bit ago. The needs for the Golden Knights are similar in that, look, like the Hurricanes, they had a winger go down in Mark Stone, of course, the Hurricanes being Max Pacioretty. And if you are the Golden Knights, maybe you look at it and say, okay, while you were able to get Barbashev, is there something else or someone else? that you can go get, whether it be with your forward core, your defense, because right now, I mean, the way this team is constructed, I mean, it's a team that's that's built to not only make a, the playoffs, but make a, a consistent run in the playoffs. But again, it's just a matter of, What else do you feel you can add? Or do they feel they may not need to add anything at all? Which, Mm. I mean, maybe they do, but here's the reality. They've still won six of their last 10. They're a team of the goal differential around plus 23. But also, when you look at their defensive structure, even with the injuries to the goaltenders that they've had going on, they're still structurally one of the better defenses in the NHL. And they're probably, what, third or fourth best defensive team in the the West at this current moment. So, again, if they add – It wouldn't be a surprise. If they don't add, it might be shocking. But when you look at what they've done to this point, in fact, they got Barbershop, maybe they feel that's all they need right now.
1: Ryan, yesterday we saw the defense market, right? It's like everyone's been sort of eyeing each other with trepidation. and, And yesterday it felt like everyone coupled off pretty fast, except Bill Armstrong and the Arizona Coyotes who still are holding Jacob Chickering? How much pressure do you think is on the Coyotes to make a move here?
2: In terms of putting a number on it, it's difficult, but you would imagine things have intensified when you see that the Predators were able to move Matias Ekholm in a contract that, again, has a little bit of heft to it to the cash-strapped Oilers for a deal that worked out for both sides. Of course, we talked about Columbus and Los Angeles and a deal that in a lot of ways was perfect for both because of what they each had to give up and not giving up any prospects was was definitely a plus if you're the L.A. Kings. If you're the Coyotes, it's fascinating because them and the Anaheim Ducks are in a similar situation and that they have two guys who are top four defensemen. Of course, Chikrin's situation is a little bit different than John Klingberg's because of the season Klingberg is having. That at the start of this, you thought, maybe there's going to be a significant bounty that they can get. But when you are seeing what defensemen are going for, when they're going, where they're going, and how much they're going for, maybe it changes the calculus. And, again, perhaps there is a deal that is out there that gets the Coyotes close to what they want. Or at this point, they might be able to get what they want, just not everything that they want. Because right now, here is the reality. If you are the Sharks, the Blackhawks, the Coyotes, the Ducks, the Blue Jackets especially, you're all trying to find ways to make your future better because you have – the best and the strongest odds right now of winning the draft lottery, getting that first or second pick and taking on what you hope is a franchise changing player. So with the Coyotes, this is a team that until recently had not really been drafting top five picks in mass, believe since 1996 when they relocated, there's only been five or six, maybe less than six top five picks the Coyotes have ever made in their entire history since being in Arizona so they're trying to get to this point where they can do that now, but in order to get there, it takes time. And if you're then, you hope Chikrin can help you with that future in terms of being able to build long-term. If it happens during the deadline, okay. And if it doesn't, maybe you might have to wait till the off-season to make a move.
0: Ryan, really appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to uh, chatting again. We'll see what fireworks go down between now and Friday.
2: Oh, and of course, as we say this, Frank Cervantes just reported that the Golden Knights are on track to acquire Jonathan Quip from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh,
0: there you go there you go we will uh we will monitor that one and uh, again really appreciate it Ryan
2: hey no
0: problem TTR care guys that is Ryan Clark uh, NHL reporter for ESPN and Jonathan yes,
1: quick playing on the strip the uh in residency
0: okay sure what that was a bit of a stretch what do you mean <laughs> wasn't ex- immediately clear to me where you were going with that that was awful <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs>
1: <laughs> like I get it now. When you get like a little bit older, then you're you're a little bit past I, your prime, yes, yes, and you take yes, up you a residency. The, the Celine Dion, or the or the what's her name, um, dating Lebron's agent, Adele. Adele. Wow, I can't believe. It. Do you know how expensive Very good, tickets though.
0: are to see her residency? Very. Okay, I bet it's an incredible show, though. Oh, I know, I know. But like, I like, bet it's an incredible. But show. it's
1: like thousands of dollars to sit mezzanine. Oof. Oof, I know. I looked at it long and hard. That's it was, beneath you. Right? It was. It was more affordable to go to Taylor Swift. At the Mercedes-Benz That's Center. That's actually
0: remarkable. Yeah. That's a wild statistic. Because
1: Adele plays every day.
0: Huh. Anyway. Circles. Anyways, uh, here's the the the, uh, the quote from Frank Saravelli: Hearing Vegas are well down the track on Trade Talk to acquire Jonathan Quick from Sorry, Columbus. Sorry, you interrupted me for that. We're talking Adele. <laughs> but there are salary cap obstacles that could prevent it from getting across the... The finish line. Okay, so that was relevant to my Adele anecdote. There are cost obstacles. There are cost constraints. for me, for here. me from <laughs> going Quick to see Adele in the residency. Yeah. Uh Jonathan Quick on a five point eight million dollar ticket Third-party brokerage. Third-party brokers. Third-party brokers. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> they, they didn't do it for Patrick Kane. Can they get another Canucks tormentor from years past and Jonathan Quick on the books uh, for an asset here? Anyways, we'll continue to monitor that situation, the latest reporting from Frank seravelli We'll take a quick break. Uh, Brock Besser uh, spoke at... Canucks practice today We'll play some of that back And by the way NHL trade deadline coverage Brought to you By Maui Jim Sunglasses Born on the beaches of Hawaii Maui Jim Sunglasses Are designed with Polarized plus two lenses That protect eyes From harmful rays And enhance the view Try on a pair And see for yourself Final segment of the show As polarized As our listeners Very sir. good Chip. Very good <laughs> Maui Jim uh, Sunglasses I'm not sure, I'm not sure <laughs> That's how they want To be associated
1: with But whatever Final segment of the show
0: Coming up next at 650 What do you
1: mean? NOOOOO <laughs>